The following Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, March 1st, 2021. The woman in your life Hello, everybody, and welcome to Women's Spaces. My name is Elaine B. Holtz, and I am your host. With me at the board is my co-producer, my engineer, webmaster, and loving partner, Ken Norton. Good morning, Ken. Good morning. Wow, what a beautiful March 1st. March is here, the month of my birthday. Oh, isn't that something? I'll be 81 this year. It's amazing. Well, happy Women's History Month. And to begin this celebration, this special celebration, I have a special guest with me. Joining me on the phone will be Molly Murphy McGregor, one of the co-founders of the National Women's uh, History Alliance, which is known, uh, used to be the uh, National Women's History Project. It's changed now to the National Women's History Alliance. We'll be talking about women's history, and, and uh, which began as the uh, Women's History Project and the origin of this special month and the importance of women in history and to celebrate it for one month. And the good news is, is this whole process, this whole celebration was born right here in Sonoma County. Uh, let me give you a little history. In uh, 1980, the National Women's History Project, NWHP, was founded in Santa Rosa, California by Molly Murphy McGregor, Mary Rootstotter, Maria Cuevas, Paula Hammond, and Betty Morgan to broadcast women's historical achievements. The NWHP started by leading a coalition that successfully lobbied Congress to designate March as National Women's History Month, now celebrated across the whole United States. Today, the NWHP, which is now known as the National Women's History Alliance, is known nationally as the only clearinghouse providing information and training in multicultural women's history for educators, community organizations, and parents, and for anyone who wants to expand their understanding of women's contribution in United States history. It's an amazing thing that happened in Sonoma County here. And also what's so interesting is that what is doubly exciting for me having Molly on is that we went to school together and I remember walking towards our class and the first thing they were going to do was an art show and I said, oh, there are really women artists? <laughs> I mean, amazing. We've come a long way, but we still have a long way to go. And added to the celebration this month, is the fact that we have Kamala Harris, who has been voted as the first woman, the first woman of color to serve as vice president of the United States. What an honor that is. Well, I have a few announcements to make, but first I want to do a shout-out. I want to do a shout-out for uh, the uh, organization in uh, Petaluma. Uh, it's called the uh, – wait a minute, where is that name? Huh. Well, they uh, they honored uh, Black History Month in two twenty in twenty twenty one. They are celebrating family 
and they celebrated it with a portrait exhibit featuring over 70 diverse uh, Petaluma families. And I, Ken and I watched their whole program last night for Black History Month, and I have to tell you, it was absolutely amazing what they put together. A special shout-out to Faith Ross and her team for doing such a wonderful, wonderful job of presenting all these different families. And we had, there was just, let me just, let me just do this announcement. Okay, the Petaluma 2021 Black History Program Celebrating Family, which happened last night, they had jazz music by uh, Dion Mode. They had a dance by the Santa Rosa High School Art Quest Dance Group. They were fabulous seeing the youth uh, come on. and particularly enjoyed uh, the international storyteller, Dylan Ferlet. She really had a wonderful, wonderful story to tell. And then they had several, several speakers. Now, what I found out is that they're not quite ready to put it online, but it is going to go online. So what you have to do is you have to go on to pbcd4us.com. That's pbcd4us.com. And keep this way you can find out when it's going to be online. And hopefully by next week, by next show, I can uh, announce that it will actually be there because it is well worth sitting down just from a historical perspective and also to see something in our community that has been put together so well by this Zoom. I mean, you know, we're all we're all novices. I mean, this is our, our first year. I mean, can you believe it? March 7th is going to be one year since we've we've had to be in isolation. And I found the name of the organization that put on this spectacular uh, event. It's called Petaluma Blacks for Community Development. And I'm telling you, it was absolutely amazing to watch. I learned and learned and learned and learned and also got a real sense of pride that we have such an af- an active African-American community in our, in our midst here. It's just, it's amazing. So many things to learn, so many things to find out. And, you know, the more familiar you are with people, the more comfortable you feel with them. And that's the whole idea, coming together, coming together. We, you know, there was a, an amazing book that uh, uh, Celeste uh, Austin read for this particular uh, event, and it was all about families. You know, showing families are families are families, no matter what color, no matter what religion, no matter what country. A family is a family, and we all share that in common. We all come from families. We all have a mother. We all worry about things. We all try to do the best that we can. So it was really an amazing story to hear how they compared all the families, that all families have, some families have children. Some families live in other countries. I mean, it's amazing. Some families eat one kind of food. Another family eats another kind of food. But it's just letting people know that a family is a family. And I think that's the way we are going to come together as a human race when we see that we have more in common than we have differences. Very important point. Well, I have another announcement to make. I want you to mark your calendars for March 18th. Of course, that's my birthday, but I don't want you to mark, don't mark your calendar for my birthday, but I'm just being funny, I guess. Mark your calendars for March 18th, the National Organization for Women, now, the Sonoma County Chapter Membership and Guest Annual Meeting via Zoom. 
We are so excited. We're going to have a special presentation by a woman by the name of Lilith Rogers, who's going to do a one-woman show about Silent Spring, Rachel Carson. Amazing, amazing when you think about it. The book, Silent Spring, was actually released in 1962, documenting the adverse environmental effects caused by the indiscriminate use of pesticides. My goodness, it's amazing. 1962, that's 59 years ago. You know, Lilith tells this story, which is really inspiring, and the fashion that you don't, the way she does it is just absolutely marvelous. She really, you really get the feeling that you're in the same room with Rachel Carson. And just think, if we would have paid attention to what that book was saying 59 years ago, you know, we might be in a better place. So let me give you, again, the information that's going to be Thursday, March 18th, from 6.30 to 8 o'clock via Zoom. And all you have to do is go on nowsonoma.org, and you can find out all the information and Send in a request, and we'll be happy to send you all the information of the Zoom. You know, I've been hearing that people have been kind of overtaking Zooms, which is kind of interesting to me. You know, it's it's interesting how people respond to certain things, particularly about women. And we need to think about things a little bit more. You know, why be so afraid to find out other people's ideas and information? You know, the more ideas you have, the more understanding you have, the better decisions you make, the better feelings you have about yourself and about other people. So I really encourage people to start thinking about what they're doing when they when they interfere with some of these programs. I mean, they're trying to do a community service, trying to bring information to our community. Why bother with that? Why not just listen? If you don't like what you hear, sign off. But why stop others? I mean, it's really, it's really sad how people are sometimes. I, I wonder, I, I think sometimes, it's not to make an excuse, but I think we're all very frustrated right now. You know, the, right now they just bombed, uh, they just had a bombing, I believe, in Syria, which is, I, I mean, it's just heartbreaking to think when I think of a bomb dropping in another country, I think of the women and children that are affected. It really just makes my heart hurt. And I ask myself that question over and over. There's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way. If war were the answer, think about this one. If war was the answer, guys, we would have had peace a long time ago. But it's not the answer. The answer is getting to know one another. The answer is sitting down at the table, even though it's hard, even though you can maybe yell at each other, even though some people are stubborn. But to start sitting down and getting to know each other and negotiating peace, negotiating a way that we can have peace across the planet. You know, what is our future going to look like if we're warring and warring and warring? It's not going to look very good. So there's a lot to think about. And, you know, we're standing on the shoulders. I mean, this is Women's History Month. We're standing on the shoulders of women who fought, who stood up and said, we want the vote, who believed who believed in their heart and soul that if we got the vote, if we had some power as women, that we would create a world of peace. 
And yet we have women out there that vote for war, that support war, that support lies, that support things that I, I don't understand how anybody can support, but they do that. So it's a, it's, we have to start looking at it. As women particularly, we bring forward life. You know, I have a special announcement to make. I am going to be a great-grandmother for the second time. That means through my bloodline, through my bloodline, another child is being born. I want that child to live in peace. That's why I do the radio. That's why I try to bring forward ideas, try to get people thinking. We all need to do that for the sake of our children and for the sake of our future. And our history, our history is our strength. And to remind ourselves that we are standing on the shoulders of many brave women. If you watch the movie Iron Jawed Angels, women were waterboarded, were beaten, were jailed. Why? Because they wanted equality. They wanted a seat at the table. They wanted to help bring peace on earth and equality for all. That day has got to come. That day has got to come, or we're not going to have a planet. So there's a lot to think about. Well, our history is our strength, you know, and hey, March 1st, let's see what's happening on March 1st. Well, March 1st, 1978, Women's History Week is first observed in Sonoma County, California. And that's what we're going to find out. That's what we're going to find out. How did that happen? You know, a little bit of history. I love when I have my interviews with Molly McGregor. She is so articulate in her information and bringing forth information for us to understand why this is so important. Also on March 1st, 1987, Congress passes a resolution designating March as Women's History Month. So you'll see the sequence. First it was history First it was Women's History Day, then it was Women's History Week, and then it evolved into Women's History Month. And all that started right here in our county. A lot to be proud of. Well, here's something interesting that happened in 1913 on March 3rd. There was a women's suffrage parade in Washington, D.C., listen to this, where over 8,000 women gathered to demand a constitutional amendment guaranteeing the right to vote. And I believe California had already gotten the right, but they wanted to end the Constitution that all women in all states had the right to vote. And then on March 4th, now this to me, this is my hero. This is a woman that I admire beyond most women, to be honest with you. And that's Frances Perkins, who becomes the United States Secretary of Labor, the first female member of the United States Cabinet, the first one. Can you imagine her being with all these big bully guys that were in the union? And one of the things that I have really in common with her is that she loves to wear hats, and I love to wear hats too. So let me just give you just a little more background on uh, Frances Perkins. Frances Perkins was an American workers' right advocate who served as the U.S. Secretary of Labor from 1933 to 1945, the longest serving in that position. In addition, she also made history as the first woman and first known LGBT person to serve in the United States Cabinet. 
and many call her the mother of the New Deal. The mother of the New Deal. She was appointed by President Roosevelt, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, to help get people out of the Depression, to start providing more work and more safeties. And one of her goals was to make sure that they had specific child labor laws and also safety regulations. Very interesting woman. That's Frances Perkins. And I I really recommend you ladies out there that are listening, look her up, find out about her. Because she in a, she alone will give you courage beyond what most of us do. Because she was standing up to labor. She was standing up to many, many things and a lot of opposition. But she made it through. And she herself had a husband who was had mental problems. He was struggling with deep depression. And a daughter who had a uh, kind of a disability. And still, this woman was able to rise to the point to be the secretary, the first woman to be the secretary of labor, the first woman to be on a U.S. cabinet, and the first woman to really bring forward some beautiful, beautiful legislation for women and children. Frances Perkins, I thank you. Well, lots to think about, guys, but that's what this show is all about, you know, we got to start thinking about these things. We got to become active. We got to let our voices be known. You know, when you're silent about anything, it means you accept it. If you don't accept it, speak out about it. Very, very important. Well, we're going to take a musical break. You know, and it's Women's History Month, and we are standing on the shoulders of many, many powerful women. And one of the first women that started this whole movement for women and getting the vote was Susan B. Anthony. And what was really interesting, what was really interesting is Susan B. Anthony devoted more than 50 years of her life to the cause of women's suffrage. Listen to this. After casting her ballot in 1872, presidential election in her hometown of Rochester, New York, she was arrested and indicted tried and convicted for voting illegally in illegally and she was fined a hundred dollars which she never paid and another interesting part about it in 19, in 2020 this is so funny president trump attempted to pardon susan b anthony for the crime and it was rejected and according to Deborah L. Hughes of the National Susan B. Anthony Museum and House in Rochester, New York, this is what she said. Objection, Mr. President. Susan B. Anthony must decline your offer of pardon, she said. She continued. Anthony wrote in her diary in 1873 that her trial for voting was the greatest outrage history ever witnessed. She was not allowed to speak as a witness in her own defense because she was a woman. At the conclusion of arguments, Judge Hunt dismissed the jury. He dismissed the jury and pronounced her guilty. She was outraged to be denied a trial by jury. She declaimed, I shall never pay a dollar for your unjust penalty. To pay would have been to violate the proceedings. To pardon Susan B. Anthony does the same. So what I did was, is I found a little piece, it's a five-minute piece, it's a little bit long, and we're going to hear from Susan B. Anthony. 
and this is done. This is very, this is very interesting. It's a, it's a five minute clip of the trial of Susan B. Anthony. And it is really, it's well done. And the people who are performing it, let me see, are Susan Kempler and Doreen Rappaport. So sit back for five minutes. And when we return, we will be talking with Molly McGregor, excuse me, Molly Murphy McGregor, one of the co-founders of the National Women's History Project. So go ahead, Ken. Let's go ahead and play that. Susan B. Anthony and several other women offered their votes to the inspectors of election in Rochester, New York, claiming their rights to vote as citizens was secured by the 14th Amendment. They were allowed to vote, but were subsequently arrested. Indictments were found against them, charging them with the offense of knowingly voting without having a lawful right to vote. Of the voters... Only Miss Anthony's case was brought to trial. She was found guilty and fined $100, which she claimed she never paid. Judge Hunt, ordering the defendant to stand up. Has the prisoner anything to say why sentence shall not be pronounced? Yes, Your Honor, I have many things to say. For in your ordered verdict of guilty, you have trampled underfoot every vital principle of our government. My natural rights, my civil rights, my political rights, my judicial rights are all alike ignored. Robbed of the fundamental privilege of citizenship, I am degraded from the status of a citizen to that of a subject, and not only myself individually, but all of my sex are, by your honor's verdict, doomed to political subjection under this so-called form of government. The prisoner must sit down court cannot allow it. All of my prosecutors, from the 8th Ward Corner grocery politician who entered the complaint, to the U.S. Marshal, Commissioner, District Attorney, District Judge, Your Honor on the bench, not one is my peer, but each and all are my political sovereigns. And had Your Honor submitted my case to the jury, as was clearly your duty, even then I should have had just cause of protest. For not one of those men was my peer, but native or foreign-born, white or black, rich or poor, educated or ignorant, awake or asleep, sober or drunk. Each and every man of them was my political superior, hence in no sense my peer. Even my counsel, the Honorable Henry R. Selden, who has argued my case so ably, so earnestly, so unanswerably before your honor, is my political sovereign. Precisely as no disfranchised person is entitled to sit upon a jury, and no woman is entitled to the franchise, so none but a regularly admitted lawyer is allowed to practice in the courts, and no woman can gain admission to the bar. Hence, jury, judge, counsel must all be of the superior class. The court must insist. The prisoner has been tried according to the established forms of law. Yes, Your Honor, but by forms of law all made by men, interpreted by men, administered by men, in favor of men and against women. And hence, Your Honor's ordered verdict of guilty against a United States citizen for the exercise of that citizen's right to vote, simply because that citizen was a woman and not a man. But yesterday, the same man made forms of law declared it a crime punishable with a thousand dollar fine and six months imprisonment for you or me or any of us to 
to give a cup of cold water, a crust of bread, or a night's shelter to a panting fugitive as he was tracking his way to Canada. And every man or woman in whose veins coursed a drop of human sympathy violated that wicked law, reckless of consequences, and was justified in so doing. As then the slaves who got their freedom must take it over or under or through the unjust forms of law, precisely so now must women, to get their right to a voice in this government, take it. And I have taken mine and mean to take it at every possible opportunity. The sentence of the court is that you pay a fine of $100 in the costs of the prosecution. May it please, Your Honor, I shall never pay a dollar of your unjust penalty. All the stock in trade I possess is a $10,000 debt incurred by publishing my paper, The Revolution, four years ago, the sole object of which was to educate all women to do precisely as I have done, rebel against your man-made, unjust, unconstitutional forms of law that tax, fine, imprison, and hang women while they deny them the right of representation in the government. And I shall work on with might and main to pay every dollar of that honest debt, but not a penny shall go to this unjust claim. And I shall earnestly and persistently continue to urge all women to the practical recognition of the old revolutionary maxim that resistance to tyranny is obedience to God. Madam... The court will not order you committed until the fine is paid. Wow. Resistance to terror, to tyrannity is for God. Oh, boy, what a woman. These are the shoulders that we're standing on. These are the women who are not afraid to speak out. Can you imagine this was 148 years ago? Do you realize the risk that woman took to stand up and speak her truth to that judge? Well, thank you, Susan B. Anthony. You certainly led the way for many of us. Well, for you just joining, I want to remind my listeners the opinions expressed here are not necessarily the opinions of the station, its board of directors, its members, and women's spaces. Well, welcome back. You're listening to Women's Spaces, and I'm your host, Elaine B. Holtz. And without further ado, I want to introduce my guest joining on my, me on the phone is Molly Murphy McGregor, one of the co-founders of the National Women's History Project, actually History Month. Welcome, Molly. Welcome to Women's Spaces. Thanks, Elaine. I, I, uh, I haven't ever followed Susan B. Anthony before, so it's quite a privilege wasn't that amazing? I mean, I was just so excited when I found that, especially when I found that they tried to pardon her and it was rejected. I mean, that to me is amazing. Well, Molly, welcome. Welcome once again to Women's Spaces. And it seems to be this is getting to be an annual event that I have you on. And I'm so proud to have you on and so proud of, of what you and the, your group of women accomplish here in Sonoma County. So before we start, do you mind if I tell my listeners just a little bit about you? Sure, go ahead. Molly Murphy McGregor is the executive director of the National Women's History, now called, it was called the Project, now it's called the Alliance. She's chair of the NWHA Board of Directors. Molly is a former high school and social studies teacher who has worked for over 35 years in the field of gender equity and women's history. McGregor conducts women's history workshops and women's historic site tours throughout the country. She also works with states and national 
federal agencies on strategies and programs to help acknowledge and recognize the historic contribution of women. Her work in the field of multicultural women's history has been widely or, uh, recognized, including awards from the National Education Association, the U.S. Department of Education, and the National Association for Multicultural Education, and the Association for Gender e- e- Equality Leadership in Education. Molly is accessible by email at nwhp1980 at gmail.com. And let me say one other thing. My claim to fame is that we went to school together. So welcome, welcome again, Molly. Is there anything that you would like to add? Um, I would just like people to understand um, that, you know, all those seeds that were planted now over 40 years ago have really, they've grown into forest. You just can't believe the work that's going on throughout the country to recognize, celebrate, and acknowledge women. Um, and so much of it is is being um, led by young people, young people who said, why don't we have women's history in our school curriculum? So I, I could not be more thrilled or excited about the expansion of women's history today. One of my friends who has that Alexis thing, I, I don't, is that is that what you call it, the, per, the thing you speak to and it gives you answers? Yeah. Well, anyway... He said, good morning, Alexis, and and Alexis said, good morning, this is National Women's History Month, and today we're going to honor Jerry Cobb. We'll honor a different woman every year. I mean, every day. Can you imagine that? That's amazing. Well, we've come. That's how mainstream it's become. It's just really just unbelievable. Well, before we get into all that excitement, you know, I would like Mm -hmm. you to talk about your experience being a high school teacher, which is, I love your story. When did you first recognize that there was a minimal amount of information about women and their history, along with what was your motivation all of a sudden to start and to do something? Well, in 1972, which was a banner year in the women's rights movement, Shirley Chisholm ran for president. Barbara Jordan was actually elected um, from Texas. The Equal Rights Amendment passed Congress, soon to be ratified, no problem. Five states rushed to ratify it. And Title IX was also, um, it wasn't enforced yet, but it was written. So it was just this banner year, and I was a social studies teacher. And one of my students asked me, what is the women's movement? And to my chagrin, I, I had not a clue what this kid was talking about. But I, as a young teacher, I, I couldn't say that. And so instead I said, what a good question. Let's divide into groups and look at that question from different perspectives, the government, the church, the society, all of that. And when I went home to my sacred shrine, shrine of history books, because history is my passion, there was one book, one chapter on um, the book was called Freedom's Ferment, and the one chapter was on the Seneca Falls Con- uh, Convention of 1848, and I had outlined the whole chapter in yellow, you know, and uh, I got straight A's in in, uh, in in history, so I knew that I had aced this test, and I didn't have any recollection of having ever read it or what this these women had to do with me. And um, it just changed my whole life because I realized how little, I knew nothing of women's history, but I also didn't, I hadn't considered what my mother's life was like other than she was my mother and she was incredible. But, you know, so so that was my conversion experience and how people talk about conversion experience, that really was mine because I realized how 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 these women and the work they did was the reason that I could, at the time I was married and um I was teaching high school, and I wore slacks to, to work. 
I mean, all those things would have been just completely unheard of if women hadn't taken chance after chance after chance. And so um, I was totally the beneficiary of all their work, and yet I had so little knowledge of it and even less appreciation. Well, so Molly, that's why for 40-plus years now I've been trying to encourage people to appreciate who women are and what we've done. Well, Molly, give us some background on some of the first steps you took. I mean, I mean that was a that well, was a big that was a huge awareness. I mean, I remember I remember you and I walking in Sonoma State, and you were telling me about women in art. And I said to you, and you, I remember I could see your face right, and I says, I didn't know there were women artists. And you said, That's the point, Elaine. <laughs> That's well, the point. And- and, you know, J.J. Wilson at, and Karen Peterson, both of them were at Sonoma State at, at the time, they really led the women and art movement in this country. They wrote the very first books on women artists because J.J. was teaching a class on philosophers. And Karen said to her, you know, J.J., if there's been all these women philosophers, do you think there's been any women artists? I know people can't believe that today, but that's really how it began. And so they started in through um, footnotes and all of that and composed the very first book on women artists. And it was the kind of energy that J.J. Um, really just spread throughout all of women's studies. So, of course, we thought anything was possible. And as a as a former high school teacher, I was there to learn about women's history because I had to stop teaching and come and, and learn some stuff. Um, and in that process, we developed a women's history slideshow that we traveled throughout California, and we saw the extraordinary enthusiasm of people who were watching this. And yet, there still was absent from our from our schools. And I worked I worked with California schools, and I'd ask kids, fifth graders especially, to name you know five women in American history and. After the Statue of Liberty, they were stumped. So anyway, we went to the, to the Sonoma County Office of Education, asked them to put um, Women's History Week on the school calendar because we figured if there was a designated time, then teachers would be encouraged to, to discuss women, women's issues, um, all of that. And so we selected the week of March 8th because March 8th is International Women's Day, and we wanted from the very beginning to stress a multicultural, international perspective of women's history. We wanted people to know we were talking about women of every religion, every culture, um, every background. And, um, and it caught on. We had it for two years, and then I was able to take the idea to a national conference that was chaired by one of the uh, preeminent women historians, Gerda Lerner, and that organization, uh, that that conference launched the whole thing for it to be national. So I went to that conference in February, I mean in uh, July of 1979, and in February of 1980, I got a call from the White House saying that President Carter was going to recognize the week of March 8th as Women's History Week. So, And then the National Women's History Project grew up creating materials and continuing to promote it in, in, in every way that we could. We we traveled anywhere that anybody would have us so that we could talk to them about how important uh, women's history was. And it, it really obviously caught on dramatically. And um, every year we had to go back to Congress because every year the week changed because March 8th was a different week in the calendar. And so by 19... 19- 86, we went to them and said, could, 
you know, every week it changes, and sometimes it's um, the school vacation or Easter or whatever, so we'd like you to declare the week of March 8th, um, I mean the month, March, as Women's History Month. And they did. So ever since 1987, we've had March as National Women's History Month. Well, let me, let me, let me go back a little bit. I want to know how you felt when you got that call <laughs> from the White House. I mean, what was the feeling? I mean, all this work that has, has gone into play. And then also, also talk a little bit about at the beginning, when you started, all of a sudden the National Women's History Project, now called the National Women's History Alliance, uh, how, how is that different than that time? But, but talk about that phone call. I want to just hear how you felt. Oh, the phone call was, uh, it's, it's one of those stories. I, I, at the time, I was uh, the director of the Sonoma County Commission on Women, and it was lunchtime, and I was the only one in the office. I answered the phone, and on the other end of the phone, there was a, a message that said, this is the White House calling for Molly McGregor. And I said, oh, one moment, please, and I put that on hold. <laughs> I had to, had to catch my breath. Anyway, when I went back on the line, it was Sarah Weddington who, you know, who was the attorney for Roe v. Wade. Anyway, Sarah Weddington was a special assistant to President Carter, and she was, she was calling to tell me that President Carter was going to issue this presidential message for Women's History Week. Oh my goodness. What a, you know, all I have to say is congratulations. I mean, and, and also, and also not to, you know, we, the, the team that you had were just, were just incredible. I mean, the women working, oh, they I were so dedicated. I thought so much of Mary Ruth's daughter yesterday because, um, Mary Ruth's daughter did everything in, that she could to try and get the media to recognize Women's History Week and then Women's History Month. I mean, she sent out buttons, she sent out, a gazillion press releases. She did everything she could, and there were all these gatekeepers, and you know, people would say, "Women's history, what?" And that. But yesterday, I found out that Apple is doing a whole thing around women's history month, um, from from having special podcasts, from having special performances, to having special this and that and that. And all I could think of is, Mary, wherever you are in the universe, you must be singing like crazy, because look at this. I mean, talk about mainstream. Talk about Alexi. I mean, it's just un- unbelievable. And if you only knew how hard she worked from the beginning to try and get people to care, because she was also a convert, but a different kind of convert. She she didn't convert to women's history until she was almost 30-something, and boy, did she feel deprived once once she realized that she'd had this uh, UCLA education and yet had never learned anything about women. So anyway, yeah, we really, I just, I wish she was here. I wish she could see the the change that her work has caused. Yeah, my my biggest regret is that I did not get her on the air before she passed away. And, you know, and, you know but her memory, I mean, I, I remember her so well. And it's just amazing what you accomplished. So now, now the next step, now you have the Women's History Project, which came along now as the Women's History Alliance. What what was the feeling? How how what were the steps you to, took to develop that? And what were some of your major challenges at the beginning? Well, our challenge always was money. You know, we started <laughs> off as volunteers, and then uh, we got a grant, and then we had that grant, and then we were volunteers again. So it was it was always money, but then. Um, we, we developed curriculum materials and, and sold them, and we were the only ones. You know, nobody else was doing this. And so we built up quite a business and were able to support ourselves through that business. At one, one year, we had a million dollars worth of sales, and we, you know, grew to be a staff of 14. But, um, 
but then Amazon discovered women's history and they put everything at discount and it impacted us dramatically, shall we say. But it's always been our supporters, um, these people that give us, you know, I, I don't know if you remember Betty Bot, um, Betty Bot, Betty Box, but when she died, she left her estate to nine Sonoma County nonprofits and we were one of them. Oh and my boy, goodness. did that. $139,000 come along at a really important time. So it was always money. And even though we, even today, you know, you continue to to meet ignorant people. I mean, what can we say? They just don't know anybody better, but, um, and they don't want to. But there's so many people who are so curious and so excited and, and so um, inspired. When you talked um, earlier about, uh, about Francis. Uh, Perkins. Yeah, I just. Francis Perkins, sorry. I thought, yeah, just think of the the courage, the determination, and the tenacity. And I I think of that more than anything, the tenacity of people. No matter how many times somebody said no, they still worked at it. You know, it's nevertheless she persisted kind of thing. And that's what women's history brings to us. It brings us that sense of what you can do when you work together, what you can do when you don't give up, what you can do when you really believe in something. And like for Francis Perkins, her conversion experience in some ways was watching those women die in the Triangle Shirtwaist Fire and and understanding how absolutely critical it was to make uh, reforms in the labor movement. But it's just, you know, one thing after the other. I grew up in an all-white community. I didn't know anything about people of color um, or black women's history or, or any of it. And in these 50 years, practically, um, I mean, my life is so rich now because I know so much. I feel so connected to so many of the women who have preceded me. And I just I just embrace them and take the inspiration of their life for mine. So that's I know, why it gives, I'm it gives still you, jazzed about women's history. It gives you a lot of courage. I know for me, when I whenever I get I feel down or something is happening that I'm being challenged on, I read Frances Perkins and I visualize her with all these big union guys having to stand up and have all these different uh, different different things happening in the nation. Well, Molly, I'd like to take a musical break. Would you would you hang out with me a little bit longer? Sure, sure, no problem. Okay, I'm so right here. I want to I want to ask you this when we come back. You know, when 2020 2021 is upon us. And in mm-hmm. 2020, we celebrated the 100th anniversary of the ratification of the 19th Amendment, which gave us the mm-hmm. right to vote. But yet the pandemic came. So so what I'd like you to do is talk about maybe uh, how it's different today versus, uh, you know, before the Women's History Project. And also, what are some of the things that maybe that we're looking into the future for 2021? Is there any way that people are acknowledging the event? And the song that I'm going to play is one of my favorites, and I'm sure you'll love it too. It's by Earth Mama. By the way, I have interviewed Earth Mama, I think, two or three times. I mean, she Mm -hmm. really has a great selection of songs. And also, to let people know, just to remind people that you do have a little, you have a a kind of a, a, a little store there and they have some marvelous marvelous information they have all kinds of women on history in fact i found a um, a coloring book that you had that i could just uh, just copy off and i send it to a young woman so there's a lot of good stuff and their website is nwhb so what i'm going to do is play standing on the shoulders and when we come back we will continue our conversation with molly murphy mcgregor who is one of the co-founders of the women's history alliance here in sonoma county and we are celebrating Women's History Month because of this wonderful organization. So let's go ahead, Ken, standing on our shoulders. (laughs) 
of the ones who came before me. I am stronger for their courage. I am wiser for their words. I am lifted by their longing for a fair and brighter future. I am grateful for their vision, for their toiling on this earth. We are standing on the shoulders of the ones who came before us. They are saints and they are humans. They are angels. They are friends. We can see beyond the struggles and the troubles and the challenge. When we know that by our efforts, things will be better in the end. Stand a little taller, that's for sure. Well, welcome back. You're listening to Women's Spaces. I am your host, Elaine B. Holtz, and with me on the telephone is Molly Murphy McGregor, one of the co-founders of the National Women's History Project, and we are going to continue our conversation. And the last question that I asked Molly is, what are some of the things that they are doing? And also, Molly, for 2021 to honor the 100th anniversary, because we missed so much because of the pandemic, and also... Molly, after you get, answer that question, talk about a little bit what you feel is the significance in 2020 that we elected a woman vice president. Well, it's about time. I felt, I felt like it's, 
about John. Yeah. <laughs> way overdue. But um, uh, the 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 things that happened in 2020. I mean, there were programs and parades planned, tens of thousands of them throughout the country, and many of them went to Zoom. Many of the people used uh, virtual things, but many of the others are going to have that again this August because hopefully we'll all be vaccinated by then. But one of the things that vaccinated, is that a word? Oh, anyway, um, uh, the the good news is that what we've done is we've taken last year's theme, violent, violent, valiant women of the vote, and added refusing to be silenced to it so that we're talking about, you know, contemporary as well as the historic ways that women have used the vote and have refused to be, you know, like in the, in the words of Stacey Abrams, refused to be silenced because of it. So what we see this year happening as we've never seen before is there are women's history groups in just tens of thousands of communities throughout the country. So the National Women's History Project, which became the Alliance in about three years ago, we are now even single, I mean, focusing more on just being able to connect people with resources and each other. There are so many extraordinary um, projects that have been developed, and, and there's no sense of reinventing the wheel. So one of the things that we are doing as the Women's History Alliance is doing as much as we can to collect, connect the, the activities of people who are ongoing. And if people want to know more about that, they should be sure and sign up on our on our website. If you go onto our website, nwhp.org, uh, you can sign up to be to, to receive one of our newsletters. But there's so much happening; it's just um, extraordinary. So many women doing podcasts and just a, a whole array of that. And then uh, I don't know if you saw the the Google alert about the fact that they've done this beautiful um, glass ceiling for uh, Kamala Harris, and I think it's it's in uh, the Union Station in D.C. So oh, there's wow. just, I can't even tell you how much is happening, and I cannot tell you the uh, tens of thousands of people who are behind it. You know, it's just really, really um, affirming. I was recently on a panel um, that was on where, where's women's history, or it was put out by the unladylike uh, group that did that <laughs> terrific video series. Anyway, there were two men on that panel that just made me want to cry. One of them was a young man who does teacher training. His attitude, his his ideas about how you um, encourage and teach about women were just so remarkable. And then there was this man who actually works on writing. Um, uh, b- books, you know, uh, textbooks for for history in the regular classroom, and he also was just so grand. And I thought, oh my God, we have come so far. I mean, not that we don't have a long way to go, but at, at least if we could begin to introduce this in the schools, then men wouldn't be so frightened about what women do or who we are because they'd always know it, and girls would feel more inspired about what they can do that they weren't, they you know, they weren't an outlier because they were had were courageous and bold. They, that's who women are. So anyway, I feel very, very encouraged about what's happening. Well, it's a, it's really it's really amazing when you think about it. From we've like that saying, we've come a long way, but we still have we still have a long way to go. What what do you think the impact of having a, a woman vice president? How is that going to impact you think future generations? Oh, everything. Little girls growing up. It's kind of like when Barack Obama became you know president. It's like 
black kids could see that, oh, a black person can do that. Now we have Kamala and um, young girls everywhere can see, oh, have you seen, I don't know if you've seen the cartoon that it's Kamala walking and in her shadow is a... Well, we just lost Molly Murphy McGregor. Ken's going to try to get her back. See if you can get her back, Ken. See if there's something maybe with the phone. Well, this has just been amazing. We've been talking to Molly Murphy McGregor, one of the co-founders of the National Women's History Month. What an interesting conversation. I don't know what went wrong with the phones, but every once in a while we have, you know, we're live here, folks, and... There's so many things that can happen when you're live. It's just amazing. In the meanwhile, I'd like to tell you a little story about myself. I went back to school when I was 30 years old. That was in 1970. I was probably one of the oldest students in all my classes. And it wasn't until I hit Sonoma State when all of a sudden I began to realize as a woman how oppressed I was, you know, and how shameful it was for me to even think that I could speak out. And when I became a journalism major, that was really exciting because there were very few women at that time, you know, that were in journalism. And then the first time I I thought to myself, how am I going to make this? How am I going to go to school? And I remember I had a teacher, Mr. Lingville, and the first week that I was there, all of a sudden he said we had to write this term paper. So I tried to write a term paper, and I got very frustrated, and I went and I sat on the lawn at Los Angeles City College, and I started to cry. And all of a sudden, this huge, I mean, this huge African-American man came up to me and says, hey, what's going on? Why are you crying? And I said, oh, my God, I got to do a term paper. I don't know how I'm going to do it. You know, I'm trying to go back to school, and it's not going to happen. And he looked at me and he stood there. He must have weighed about 250 pounds. He was probably about six foot two. And he spread his arms out real wide. And he said, how about me? What if I had that attitude? What if I was crying that I couldn't do a term paper? Would I finish school? And he took my, he pulls his hand out to me and I go, oh. And he lifts me up. And I said, where are we going? He says, just follow me. Takes my hand, took me to a tutoring office and introduced me to this woman who became my tutor for the next three years. I graduated with honors. Then I went on to Sonoma State, and then all of a sudden there was women's studies. And I thought, wow, women's studies. What are we going to do, study about women? (laughs) I, I had no concept of what it was until I walked into the classes. And suddenly I realized, oh, my God, as a woman, I've been oppressed. I thought, all I thought is as long as I was at one time, as long as I was beautiful and as long as I'm married well, then everything would be fine. And here I am in school not knowing what direction to go to. You know, I became a sociology major. And suddenly I got involved with women's issues. And I began to realize I have a place in this world. I can stand up. I can speak. I can speak my truth. Next thing I know, I'm elected to a student, uh, a student body government. And now I really had a voice. And I go, wow, I can make change. I can help students. I can, I can speak my truth. I was, I was stunned. I was just stunned. And then I was voted to be the speaker at our graduation in 1975. One of three students, because I had the pleasure of being tutored at Sonoma State by the first woman 
to be president of the UC system, Dr. Marjorie Downing Wagner. I will never forget her as long as I live. She was such an influence on me. And then when I gave my speech, after it was all over, she came up to me and she said, Elaine, women have every right to stand out and speak. And I thank you for the beautiful speech you gave. That was one of the most important moments in my life. And you know something? I recognize that I was only there due to the fact that I was standing on the shoulders of so many great women. Well, folks, this has been a really wonderful show. I'm so sorry what happened with Molly McGregor. You know, all of a sudden something happened with our phones or her phone. We don't know. But she did a marvelous job. And I want to congratulate her. I want to congratulate her for what she has done and how she stuck with it and has persisted. And a special thank you to Mary Ruth's daughter. Because I remember that woman like it was yesterday. She worked and believed in women and believed in everything they were doing and was not a afraid to speak out. Well, thank you once again for listening. You've been listening to Women's Spaces. Special thank you to Molly Murphy McGregor, co-founder of the National Women's Hosp- uh, Project for all she has done to bring history of women to generations of women and children. Remember, our children and the future. We must never lose sight of that. This is Elaine B. Holtz. You've been listening to Women's Spaces. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to being with you the next time. The previous Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, March 1st, 2021.